Welcome to Applied Faith with Pastor Russ Falachi, Senior Pastor of Christian Church of Broomfield, located in Broomfield, Colorado. Our mission is to provide practical application of biblical truth to help you experience true purpose and lasting change that can begin now. Here's Pastor Russ. So we're going to continue in our series, uh, Light Became Life, and this will take us through Christmas, and uh, really the premise behind this series, the the purpose of it all is to examine Jesus as the light, he claimed to be the light, uh, came to the world to deliver mankind out of darkness, and uh, the light has a lot of implications, it's not just poetic, but it really, the light of God was a life changer. And the more we understand why Jesus came, who he was, uh, I think, well, obviously, the more special the time of Christmas is, because you understand it's really good news, right? And we just got done talking about the good news of Jesus is in the bad news of the darkness, the bad news of the consequence of sin, the bad news of mankind's condition before Jesus was born, before his life, before his death and resurrection. Uh, So yes, it's extremely good news. But we're going to see, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but that the good news of Jesus is being minimized or minimalized or ignored in this world as they continue to change the gospel of Jesus and who he was and what he said. Um, but we're going to pick up in an account, John 9, verse 35. But before this, you need to understand, Jesus just healed this man of blindness. He spit in some mud, made some clay, put it on his eyes, had him go wash As he washed the mud off, he could see. Then he went to the temple, showed himself to be seeing. Uh, Pharisees didn't like that. They didn't like that they were given, he was given Jesus credit of being someone, you know, special. And because of that, they excommunicated this man who was just healed uh, from blindness, excommunicated him from the temple for his testimony. And now Jesus now finds him. Now Jesus says this. Uh, well, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and while he found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God, the Savior, the Son of Man, the prophesied one? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, Well, you have both seen him, no pun intended, and it is he who is talking with you. And he questioned as to who Jesus was and what he was claiming to be. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. But then Jesus says something that we need to take note of, take notice of. He says, and Jesus said, for what? What? I have come into this world that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Judgment means a decision for or against someone accused of a crime or avenge or to be condemned or condemnation or damnation. This was a heavy word that came with a lot of implication. So why is this important for us to understand? Well, in the context and in the light of what is beginning to happen in the world, with Jesus and his mission being changed, doctored, it's important for us to be reminded of why it's good news, who Jesus was, and what's going to continue to happen in this world. Because what you're going to hear is, well, that's a contradiction, because Jesus said that he came not to condemn, right, but to save. So why is he saying here that he, it's for judgment? Well, it's for condemnation. Why is he saying this? It's a, it's a contradiction. Jesus needs to make up his mind. The scriptures need to make up his mind about who Jesus was. 
So first of all, let's go to John 3.16. It says, who's heard John 3.16? Okay, even if you don't believe in Jesus, I bet you've heard of this before. You've heard this before. And it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's some good news. For God did not send his son into the world to what? He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But Jesus just got done saying, It is for judgment that I have come into the world. What? It's an apparent contradiction, and therefore, people kind of use this to their advantage to say Jesus really came to save, not to condemn. Jesus was love, right? Jesus was accepting. Jesus was grace. Jesus was this. Jesus was this. Jesus was this. And they dismiss a whole other part of Jesus and what his ministry uh, meant and what it meant for mankind. They ignore certain things, or they say, well, it's a contradiction. Jesus never really said that. But why am I saying this? Because with this new emerging Christian church, there's a lot of deception around Jesus' mission. There's a lot of argument, a lot of dismissal about the judgment part. There's a lot of acceptance about the grace part, right? The saving part. And it's, the enemy is twisting it, and we have to be so aware, you all, because it's around, like, all right, let me, found this book out there when I was studying. Author is Marcus Borg. You can write this down because I don't want you reading it. <laughs> it's called Meeting Jesus Again for the First Time. This is just an excerpt, okay? This is a little extra, but now watch. Watch how sneaky this is, okay? And this is important that we're being reminded of why Jesus was the light and what that meant, right? He goes, one of the hallmarks of Jesus' teaching was was his pointed attacks on the purity system. This was the dominant theme in the Jewish social world during his time, and it was focused on creating a world with sharp social boundaries between pure and impure, righteous and sinner, whole and not whole, male and female, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, Jesus deliberately replaced the core value of purity with compassion. Okay. So he just did away with righteousness and sin and all that nonsense. Okay, goes on. Jesus' compassion was notably evident in his habitual participation in an open and inclusive table. Sharing a meal with someone in those days signified mutual acceptance, non-judgment. Jesus ate with the outcast, the downtrodden, anyone who was considered impure, sinful. Through his actions, Jesus demonstrated that all people are welcome at the table of God's kingdom, and all means all. He stole from me. Jesus was a champion of the oppressed, was he not? The living example of unconditional love, was he not? And he vehemently opposed exclusionary practices, yes, to a degree. Although discrimination in his day may have centered around gender and health and social status and religious practices, it could just as easily have been discrimination based on nationality, ethnicity, race, and sexual preference as we see today. So, 
Just with that little thing, you're starting to see what they begin to do is the sin issue is kind of like, we're just going to go ahead and just kind of sweep it over here. And Jesus was, you know, a champion of, you know, equality, right? Which he was to a degree, but it depends how you're looking at that, right? But again, you don't see any mention of the dividing line of sin, right? Of the need for forgiveness, of what the state of mankind was before Jesus because of the sin condition. It has everything to do with acceptance and lack and no judgment, right? Where's the good news? Why did he have to die? Well, let's look at another quick... Okay, this comes from the Journey Church, which is right up the road at Front Range Community College. They meet every Sunday. You might see their ads on Facebook. They sound very Christian till you dig. I'm doing this so all of us can know and be aware of what's happening out there right in our own backyard. Not that we go pick it and do anything. That you just are aware. Okay. So first of all, right out of the gates, they say in their belief statement, we believe the Bible to be an essential resource for understanding how our stories relate to God's story. And we are not rigid, rigid on how the Bible should be understood or interpreted. So why, so why have church, right? Well, we gather and we have an interpretation party. <laughs> There's no authority. I mean, do you understand that the reason this is so powerful is that we are all under the authority of the Word and agree that it has authority over our lives? Imagine being in an environment where the Word doesn't have authority. All right. That's the point. So then they go, Jesus died on the cross. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Okay. Jesus, you're wrong. (laughs) No. (laughs) Jesus died on the cross so that we might have hope now and in the future. Why? Why, they don't explain that. We celebrate this weekly through the Eucharist as we remember his death on our behalf. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead, reuniting all of humanity with God. We are now free to live in intimate community with God and others. We are free to know and be known, to love and be loved, to care and be cared for. All the brokenness and divisions we have made for ourselves, not God, are repaired The equality with which we were created in God's image is now restored, regardless of income, yeah, gender, race, sexual orientation, culture, or situation in life. God has provided hope to all people through his grace expressed through Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And we can have direct relationship with God by following Christ with our lives. And how do we do this? We live this way of life by bringing good to the world and loving people as Jesus loves people, which you could do without Jesus. But why am I reading this? We have to be educated because it's it's sneaky. But do you feel anything in here that creates accountability for your actions? Any consequence, anything that speaks to our condition that before God without Jesus cannot be accepted, no matter how much good you do, there is a sin issue. This is saying he got rid of the sin issue so you can be free to be who you want to be, no matter what you want to be. 
no matter how you want to live, no matter what choice you want to make for your life, you are welcome here because Jesus didn't come to divide, but to create equality. And that's the word we all have to be very aware of because they've twisted equality from a good thing to a very sneaky, deceptive thing. It's the new equality. The new equality, and this is why people can justify hating Christians that abide by the authority of the word because saying, we're prejudiced. We're not about equality, right? We carry judgment. Equality means that you don't judge. But we know the difference. We're judging a sin, not the person, right? Because we first allow the spirit or God's you know, spirit to judge us saying, I need help. And Jesus' message was repentance, meaning, yes, come. I welcome all to come. Yes, he broke down the dividing lines. He ministered to Gentiles. He ministered to Jews. He ministered to the marginalized, right? He ministered to everybody. Everybody, everybody could receive his grace and mercy, right? That was the difference. But his message was the same for everybody. Repent. Repent. Repentance is demonstration that you have met the real Jesus, doesn't mean you're perfect. It means that you know that you're sinful and you've got some work to do, right? The emerging church is like, uh-uh, uh-uh, that's judgment. That's not okay. Your message, the message of Jesus is like, come as you are and stay that way. And just do good. Well, you can do that without Jesus. Where's the good news? Why did he have to die if it was just for hope and to do good? Why did he have to die? They don't answer that. We know why he had to die, right? But they'll point to John 3, you know, 16 and other things saying, Jesus came for love. Jesus came to save. He did. We're not debating that. <laughs> but you got to read the whole Bible, y'all. <sighs> to understand, because without it, you don't understand the good news. Right? Well, so let's look at John 3.16, but let's look at a little context of John 3.16 so then we kind of understand, even within this, Jesus demonstrates that his presence would judge. Okay? Well, first of all, I can't read the whole account. Nicodemus, a Pharisee, came to Jesus to ask him, you know, what in the world is going on? Who are you? You Obviously, you're special. I need to know what's going on. So Jesus begins to educate him. He talks about being born again, and those who aren't born again cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Those who don't receive Jesus and are washed by the Holy Spirit cannot receive the kingdom of God. And he's like, what? What do you mean I'm born again? How? It's possible. And Jesus, you know, explains and continues to explain. And then in verse 13, he says this. He goes, no one, Nicodemus, has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the son of man who is in heaven. He's like, now watch what he says. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So he uses this peculiar reference. And if you're not familiar with the reference, it says a lot about Jesus' mission and who he was. So let's look at what he's referring to. What is this serpent thing? Well, let's look at Numbers 21.4. This is what he is talking about and referring to, referencing. Moses is there, they're, they're in the desert, they're in the wilderness. And it says, and then they journeyed from Mount Ora by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very, weird, very discouraged on the way. 
And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. And our soul loathes this worthless bread that you provide for us miraculously. (laughs) They were complaining. But that's then we don't complain. (laughs) So God said, I've had enough. So the Lord sent some snakes. (laughs) I mean, come on, man. What a way to get people's attention. So he sent some fiery serpents, poisonous serpents among the people, and they bit the people. And many of the people of Israel died. Therefore, I like this, therefore, the people came to Moses and said, "Uh, we've sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Please, I don't want to get bit by a snake. (laughs) Please take it away. I'll eat that bread every day and enjoy it. And say another word. But he says, pray to the Lord, please, that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. But this is what God does. He could have taken away the serpents, but he does something very interesting here. And it points to Jesus. You'll find Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. I love it. He goes, the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall what? So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. So this is what Jesus is referring to. First of all, serpent always, for the most part, represented evil. Bronze, though, represented judgment. So Moses, basically, he literally made an image that was sin-judged. Pretty interesting, right? But it had to be lifted up so that people could see. And that those who were bitten could look at it and be saved. This is why Jesus refers to this. This is why Jesus, I have to be lifted up so that those who are bitten, which is everybody, could look at it and be saved. Pretty fascinating, isn't it? Nicodemus would have known this because he was a Pharisee. He understood the word. He was very familiar with this account. Now, here's the thing. First of all, let's review. Why? was the serpent made to save a life, right? To save lives. What was its only purpose? To save lives, right? To save people from death. It wasn't saving people from an allergic reaction or a rash. It was saving people from death. That was the only purpose That those who gazed upon it, believing that God told Moses to do this, and with belief in their heart, looked upon it and knew that they would be healed and would not perish. Now, Jesus was sin judged, right? He who knew no sin became sin for all of us. And he was lifted up. And that those who believe upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But here, we don't know this, but if you, I just wonder if there were some who were bitten, maybe, that were like, this is nonsense, man. Give me, do something now. I, I'm not going to look on that. That's stupid. Right? I'm not going to look. That's dumb. Imagine those that decided not to look at it that were bit. What would have happened? Whose fault was it? Right. They judged themselves, they brought it on themselves. The offer is there, right? 
So the judgment is this. You will look on it and live, but if you don't look on it, you will die. This is how Jesus can be both. If you look to him for life, for forgiveness, you will receive it. But you have a choice. And if you don't, guess what happens? You don't receive it and you die. This is why Jesus said, I've come, right, for judgment. Not to walk around judging everybody, but saying my life and my ministry and what I'll accomplish will become judgment, either for life or not for life. See, that's Jesus. And what we're seeing as I read those couple, whatever those are, false gospels, they're not dealing with death. They're not dealing with with the consequences of sin, which is a very real thing. You see what they're doing is they're dismissing all of that because that's what the enemy would love is for people to embrace lawlessness and sin, but yet have Jesus. But we're going to see Jesus warned us. But now let's read it in context so we have a better understanding now. So let's go back to John 3, 14, and it says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him or gazes upon him should not perish but have what? So you see now, whoever believes. There's going to be some that don't. That's why Jesus... Then it, like one said, he died, and therefore everybody now is redeemed. Everybody. No decision. Just, you're good. Go do good things. No. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That those who have been bitten by the fiery serpent, those who are infected by sin, which is all of mankind, can have hope because of belief in Jesus. And that belief leads to everlasting life because there is a life right after this life. As soon as we take our last breath, we will know. And there will be consequence. Now, for God did not send his son into the world to, to get, I can't talk, condemn the world, but that the world through him, right, might be saved. Absolutely true. He who believes in him is not condemned. Why? Because Jesus was our propitiation. He was the redeeming sacrifice. Without Jesus, there's no hope, right? He who believes in him then is not condemned. But he who does not believe, what, is condemned already. Why? Because you were condemned. <laughs> Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed because the sin issue has not been dealt with. The snake bite has not been dealt with. So those who came to the snake to look upon the snake had been bitten. Maybe the ones that said, I'm not going to look at that, were already bitten, so the dying process has already started. This is so important for us to remember and to hold on to because in this world, you're hearing more and more of the false gospel and you are labeled prejudiced and bigoted because you may have a judgment against the sin and people don't want that anymore. They don't want to admit that they've been bitten. But he does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. 
But is the offer available to everybody? Yes. yes. God is equal in his offer. Nobody is outside of his offer, right? That is true. He did invite people to his table. Nicodemus, or Zacchaeus, the short guy, was invited. He was a tax collector. <laughs> they considered him a scumbag. Not worthy of grace, right? He was invited to the table, but then he said, I'm changed. I'm giving everything back. I was wrong. Not just that. Here's four times of what I've taken. He didn't go, all right, Jesus said it's cool for me to steal from my countrymen, and I'm going to keep on doing it because I ate at an inclusive table. I don't have to change. He just loved me, and we held hands, and we sang songs, and it was wonderful. No! Sorry. Where are your accusers, woman caught in adultery? Well, they're not here. Who are those that condemn you? Well, they're gone. Well, you know what? Neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Ah, no, come on. Keep doing it. Keep ruining marriages. Keep having adultery. It's not hurting you. It's who you are. Yeah, Jesus invited everybody. But he didn't say, come as you are and stay as you are. John 3.19, and he continues, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. For everyone practicing evil, living in a state of evil, living in a state of sin, meaning there's nothing wrong with me. If anything, don't judge my decisions. I'm good. You have no right to judge. There is no absolute authority. Truth is relative. For everyone practicing evil hates light and has not come to the light, lest his deeds then should be exposed. <laughs> so they'll do everything they can to either deny him or twist the gospel so they don't have to have anything about who they are and their sin exposed and deal with it. Right? Jesus knew people. But he who does truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done by God, meaning there is a transformation. There is something happening that happens in your life that changes how you view life, yourself, and what this life is all about, right? It changes how you see sin. It changes, changes how you see yourself. You no longer can say, well, I'm a good person. You realize, I can't be good. I need Jesus. And there's a transformation that happens because when you believe upon Jesus, his Holy Spirit is placed in you, right, as a seal. And in that God's law is written upon your heart. He will lead you into all righteousness. But do you see how they're robbing the world of good news when they minimize why he really came? When they dismiss sin, when they dismiss the fact that we actually need a Savior? I mean, come on, man. Jesus, I'm a parachute. Plane's going down. But people are like, you don't need a parachute. The plane's not going down, man. We are at a nice cruising altitude. Everything is fine. That's what's happening. You don't need a parachute. It's good. But man, those that have been awakened and enlightened by the light of Jesus and have received Jesus for forgiveness, man, we know the world's going down, but we know that in Jesus we are going are part of his kingdom and will live with him forever. And that is, you see how exciting Christmas can be when we actually get it. And I know we do, but sometimes we have to be reminded, especially in this world of darkness that is squashing the message of Jesus. But judgment's a good thing. That's a whole nother message. 
What if a teacher couldn't mark an answer wrong? What's the point in studying? Judgment's a good thing. And so Jesus, I'm going to repeat what he said. And Jesus said, for judgment, I have come. I, yes, I've come for life, but now there's no excuse. Given the way of life, given the message, I've give, I'm giving it, I'm walking it, I'm dying, I'm resurrecting myself so that you can have life. But because that has been offered now, if you deny it, judgment will come. But you have been given the key, right? And he says, for, I have, uh, for judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see what may their condition and their need for a savior. That, and that those who see the spiritually enlightened may be made blind. And that's what's happening. And until then, there's going to be a false gospel preached. And I mean, I don't know where you are in your knowledge of that, but no, just because someone says Jesus doesn't mean it's right. See, Satan masquerades as an angel of light, right? The best thing he can do is not reject Jesus, but twist it, right? Like take a little piece of cheese, but put it in a mouse trap. <laughs> Smells good, looks good, but man, when you bite on it, you... <laughs> death that's why we have to be aware we have to be aware of maybe what family members are listening to and churches they're going to that because you're going to see jesus as i say go burn down the churches that are doing this he says they're going to be here we have a responsibility for our own church and the gospel that we preach and the gospel that we live right but man it's out there and it's going to continue to be out there i mean look Matthew 13, 36, says, And Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. For time's sake, I didn't want to read the entire parable, but basically Jesus teaching in parables to teach about the kingdom of God, the truth of the kingdom of God, how it operates. Also about what to expect. He talked about a farmer who planted some, some wheat, went to bed, and at night an enemy came and planted some tares, which is really a false grain. It wasn't wheat at all, but you couldn't distinguish the two until it came into uh, maturity. And ultimately, the hope of the enemy was that as they noticed that this was tares, they would rip the tares out, but in doing that, they'd also rip out the wheat. And so disciples were like, cool story, what does it mean? Well, first of all, know that Jesus will point to that there's not going to be equality in heaven in terms of how people are treated when Jesus comes back. I mean, that's the truth of it. His hope is that all will be treated equal, that all would receive salvation, right, through his name, but not all will. He goes, he answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. So he's talking about like a real thing that's going to be happening. Therefore, as the tares are gathered, they're not touched, but they're gathered at harvest time, and burned in the fire, so it will be at the, so it will be 
at the end of this age. The tares, the false Jesus preachers and believers, the ones that kind of look like it but weren't. So it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that what? And those who practice lawlessness, meaning they have denied the reality of sin and God's view on it and decided to stay in a perpetual state of sin and reject the gospel. But maybe have a little kind, like, have a version of it, but it's not the gospel. And how do you know it? Because of how they live and how they view sin. It's the best way. It's the best way to detect, is this a real Jesus gospel or a false Jesus gospel? If it diminishes sin and its impact in our need to repent and live differently in the hope of living differently, if it doesn't have that, stay away. It's false. Because Jesus came to save those who were lost, right? And dead in sin to give them a new way to live. And even when Jesus started his ministry, remember the first series, the first message I gave, Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So, but those who have accepted Jesus, that means that uh, we're perfect. No. It means we're aware of our condition. We're aware of our need for grace. We're aware of our need for mercy. We're aware and are hopeful that because of God, there is hope in me, right, to overcome. But the false gospel says, you don't need to worry about that. You're good. Just do good. And he'll cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun and the kingdom of their father. He goes this, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, right? So apparently some of these churches haven't read that section. Because the desire to follow flesh is so strong that it will ignore and twist this type of message because it means accountability. And the world is running from accountability, right? But we aren't. We're like, I'm a sinner. I can't be a bigot because I'm saying the same thing to myself. I need Jesus. Without Jesus, there's no hope for me. So it's about the sin in you, not about you. Because Jesus, yes, he did die for you so that you could find life in a new way to live that isn't dictated and governed by your flesh and your understanding, but it's the spirit within you. You are born again, right? Born again. You had to be born again because everything in you is flesh. So yes, you might have have felt this way and lived this way and just feel like this is who you are, but God says that's not who you are, and I love you, and I died so you could find out who you are. That's the good news, right? Don't. Fall into deception. Because the enemy knows the wages of sin is death. But we know. See, that's the good news. Right? But we have to be vigilant. Because it's not, come on, who wants to be labeled a judgmental person? Nobody. And we know that flesh does not receive spirit. And God will lead and dictate how we talk and what we do as we have conversations. But our first priority is us, right? Are we submitting to the Lord and his word and believing everything it says, even if you can't totally articulate it? But my hope is that as we 
create relationships as we are caring and loving the people that there might be a time when Jesus can be introduced into the equation and hear the real Jesus and what it means. Not the Jesus they're hearing out there. It's great news. And it's good for us to be reminded and encouraged. Fight the good fight, you all. Fight the good fight. And it's hard, I know. But know that because you believed in Jesus, because he was lifted up for your sin and you've received it, that you have a relationship with him. You have the Holy Spirit and that he is with you and will give you guidance in all things, right? So that's good news. Yes, some bad news, but we can't ignore it, right? But man, we have been saved. Woo! That's awesome. (laughs) It's the excitement, the joy of our salvation, right? Even in the knowledge of our sin, it's like, all right, Lord, I I have to accept it. Whether I feel like I deserve it or not, I accept it. Just think about the Israelites, the ones that were bitten, the ones that looked upon the snake and were healed. They just had to accept the reality of the truth that if they looked upon it, they were saved. And they could have been like, well, I was complaining. I did all this. I totally deserve it. I I mean, maybe I should die, right? Maybe I should. I deserve it. Man, was I a whiner. Man, was I complaining. I can't believe. But yet he's like, but all right, but I'm going to look. The only responsibility they had was to look. And then God took care of the rest. And they were healed. And this is what happens to us when we believe upon the name of Jesus. We are healed. And we have the promise of overcoming and changing. And then being a light to this world. That's awesome. So Jesus, thank you. We thank you, Father, for your... Sometimes, Lord, this truth is so big in terms of its simplicity that we confuse it. (laughs) Lord, I would pray that all of us here that have looked upon you and believed and confessed our sin and asked for you to be our Savior, that we are reminded that you fulfill your end, that we have been cleansed and we've been forgiven. We've been washed as white as the snow. Lord, that even in the struggle, your grace is sufficient and present and faithful to lift us up out of whatever it is that we are in and give us the hope of change and a relationship. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you chose to came, come down and live a life, Lord, only to be ended through crucifixion because you chose it that way so that we could have hope today. Thank you, Lord. You deserve all of our praise. We glorify your name. We praise your name. We shout your name and say, Lord Jesus, you are our Savior and our King and our Father and our Lord. Father God, we submit our lives to you. Amen. You've been listening to Applied Faith with Pastor Russ Falachi, an outreach of Christian Church of Broomfield, located in Broomfield, Colorado. To contact Pastor Russ, visit his website at russfalachi.com. Thanks for listening, and remember, an alive faith is an applied faith.